whom we can trust. Lord, what a great consolation it is to know that no matter how afraid we are or ashamed we are or in danger, whether from outside force or the consequence of our own behavior, that we have in you just the best hiding place. That in your hands, nothing can touch us unless according to your design and purpose, you, as it would be, spread your fingers and allow something to reach us. And we see that all over the scriptures with your purpose and your plan. But that plan and purpose never includes our destruction or our ruin. You chasten those whom you love. Sometimes you do it directly. Sometimes you allow Satan to be the, the, the source of that chastisement. But we're always in your hand. And we're safe there. Even when we feel exposed, we know it's for your purpose for a short time. Your anger lasts for a moment, but your love lasts a lifetime. God, thank you that you are our hiding place, a safe place, a place to be lovingly chastised, a place to always be restored, to be forgiven, to be strengthened, to be replenished. God, thank you for being a God like this to us. And it's not just us and you only. You put us in a family, a network, a congregation of other believers that encourage and sometimes offend, but we repent and we're restored horizontally to one another and restored vertically to you. That there's this ongoing life experience of offending and then being forgiven and restored. God, thank you for these cycles you carry us through, for these relationships that you've put around us that we receive from and give to, that we're not alone in this world. So this morning we focus on a particular way that we remind ourselves of your care and your provision and your love. And we remember that individually but we also remember it collectively, that we're not just collect, uh, connected to you, but we're connected to others who are also connected to you. And we experience this, this vertical with you and the horizontal with one another. God, thank you for this kind of family you put us in. That you've called us out of the world to be distinct to be unique, to be your people, to be salt, and to be light, to bring hope. Help us to catch that this morning. Help us to see that and the value of the, the tool that you've given us to remind us of that. 
Open our eyes, God, please. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Open your Bibles, would you please, this morning to the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We are working through some really, and in fact, it would, it would sort of be the, the, not the full doctrinal statement, but imagine a new member's class, uh, and we're doing a quick flyover, not, not detailed. So we've covered the theological basis the last two weeks and now this morning of salvation, baptism, and now the Lord's Supper. Next week, Pastor Jose opens up with uh, three, maybe four in, in his section of, of what is the big idea? What is the mission of the church? What is our vision? What do we value? And I'm so eager to uh, hear Pastor Jose work through that and give us a reminder of why, why are we here? What do we exist for? And how do we function? Very eager to hear that, and I'm eager for you to hear that as well. So we, we, we finished this morning with that theological underpinning, introduction to this whole series. You see in the printed notes there, I, I gave this little statement to you. Baptist churches have one criterion, and, and by that I mean the, how do, you, how do you, other than the name on the sign or on the pamphlet gets handed out, just other than the, uh, the, the name, what, what would be distinct about a Baptist congregation? And it comes down to these three, salvation, baptism, the Lord's Supper, it comes down to these three that, that we are first and foremost saying, no, Baptists, unlike other groups, require, demand biblically what would be called a regenerate membership. That simply means that we're shooting for the goal that all true members that are formal members are truly born again. They're not looking for Christ. They have come to know Christ. We're not suggesting that unbelievers, people that don't know Christ, are not welcome. Absolutely not. But to become a member, no, we, we, we're looking for the evidence, the conviction, the assurance. No, I've, I've been born of the Spirit. I'm alive in Christ. My sins have been washed away. I've been born of the Spirit. I've been born again. Not all churches would require that or, or demand that. There's that distinction. Baptist churches are saying to be a member, need to be born again. And then there are two ordinances. Ordinances simply means God has ordained, instructed, demanded, commanded, that we do these two things as reminders. One is baptism. One is the Lord's Supper, or some people would say communion. The distinction between Baptists and other groups is some would say Church of Christ, for instance. That's not, I'm not saying that as a condemnation. I'm just, that's their position, that, that salvation is not just an act of, of surrender of, of life and soul and spirit to Christ in our minds and with our mouths. But, but no, you, you, 
you must be, in fact, baptized as well. And they would connect baptism to not a reminder, death, a picture, death, burial, resurrection. No, no, no. They would say that there's saving benefit in the act of, of baptism. That our salvation is linked to, not pictured by, but attached to. There's, there's a saving effect in the work of being baptized, which, as I just used the word work, well, then we're saved by grace and works, belief and baptism. So Baptists are saying, no, no, we're saved entirely by God's grace. Baptism is an outward declaration of my inward surrender. So there's that distinction. There's that ordinance that he has ordained, commanded that we do this as a, a sign, a statement. And the second would be what we're going to do here in about an hour and a half. Hour and 20. Is the Lord's Supper. And many people think there's saving value in that. That in, in taking this bread and drinking this wine or juice, that it, it, it somehow becomes literally the body and the blood of Christ, and that's what saves us. And I'm saying, no, I, I don't believe that. It's my faith in the body and the blood of Christ that saves us. And taking unleavened bread, which they used at the original Exodus when this practice began, and the blood that was applied over the door, and they drank wine as a symbol of the blood, that was applied over the door, the blood of the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb. If I see the blood, I will pass over your house. That, that those become reminders. They become symbols. And the New Testament symbol of that Old Testament practice is what Jesus called his supper, the Lord's Supper. At the end of a meal, at the end of their Passover meal, he took the elements of that meal, unleavened bread, and wine, and he said, from this point forward, it speaks of me becoming your Passover lamb at the crucifixion. So these two things God has ordained that we do to remind ourselves. This is not how we get our forgiveness. It's to remind us that we have been forgiven. I could ramble here a bit more, but I, I, I think you get the point. I hope you get the point. The passage in Corinthians is simply this. The church at Corinth was, without being cruel or critical, church at Corinth was really messed up. There's really no nice way. You could say they were significantly unorthodox. They were really messed up. I mean, there was a lot of things wrong in the church of Corinth. And so Paul is writing this letter to them and said, look, you got to fix this, you got to fix this, you got to fix this, and I can't believe you're doing that, and that's got to stop. And, and what about this, and what about this? And, and, and at least two-thirds, three-fourths of the book is dealing with those problems in the church. And yet what's beautiful about it is he keeps acknowledging them as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Really messed up. But not to the point that that's it. You, 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 you know, we're canceling your subscription. You're, you're out. You're done. You've crossed some kind of, of, of line of no return. Uh, they were messed up severely. 
You read the book, you'll say, that was going on in the church at Corinth? Yes, it was. Paul confronts it, says, you got to stop this. That's not how we behave. You're not reflecting the character of Christ. What are you, nuts? You'd have to know the original language to catch that translation. What are you, crazy? And that's the book of, of, of 1 Corinthians. And in that series of problems that are being addressed, he gets to a fixing, addressing the wrong way they were observing the Lord's Supper or communion, whatever word you would use. We start in verse 17, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. It's really four paragraphs, not of equal length, and I'll read one whole paragraph and then we'll stop and we'll make four points. Each paragraph is a very distinct call for repentance and change in one particular area. Starting in verse 17, first paragraph. In the following instructions, I do not commend you. This is not a pat on the back. This is not a kind of a godly attaboy. You guys didn't know. No, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better. You guys come together and do it the way you do it. You're actually making things worse. You're actually making things worse. Verse 18. In the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. I believe it in part. Verse 19, there must be factions, the word divisions, now the word factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Catch those three key words. There are divisions, there are factions, and as if there's kind of a backdoor benefit to having factions and divisions, at least we are able to recognize because of what's broken, what's genuine. There are factions, there are divisions, and all that does, if there's any redeeming value to that, you got this group believing this, you got this group believing this, this group has an attitude, this group has an attitude, they don't like them, they don't like them, there's conflict, there's competition, but there's a few who aren't part of that. That's the only way we can tell who's genuine. This is how severe, how, how far-reaching the unorthodoxy, the, the, the brokenness, the rebellion, the, the, the fleshliness had begun to overtake the church. Oh, we believe in Jesus, but we do this. We do it this way. Stop it. It doesn't matter. It's okay. We can do this. But there were some that were genuine. And the question should be for us, well, do we want to be part of a faction, one of many, a splinter group, be divisive, or do we want to be genuine? Great language here in these verses. 18, verse 19. He repeats again in verse 20, when you come together, it's not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. I know you think you're doing it, and you call it that, but you're not. So Paul seems to be saying, look, you can call it whatever you want, and, 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 and you, you can dress it up and, and label it however you choose, but, but I'm requiring biblical criteria. I'm, I'm looking for a biblical standard as far back as the original Passover out of Exodus and, and reestablished with Jesus the night before the crucifixion. 
That's the standard we're looking at. That's the biblical criteria. So whatever you're doing in verse 20 doesn't meet that criteria. You've missed it, Corinth. And I want to make sure First Baptist Church doesn't miss it. That we get it. Not just in, in, in formal step by step, but the things that lead up to those steps. That, no, we have been born again. And there is biblical Christian love amongst us. That it's not just a, an occasional courtesy, well, it's the Lord's Supper Sunday, so let's act nice. No, there's genuine love of Christ. Whatever you're doing in verse 20 doesn't meet the biblical standard. Here's why, verse 21. In eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. Now, I will tell you that there's strong extra-biblical evidence, extra meaning outside of the Bible. There's strong evidence that when they have the Lord's Supper, they would have a uh, congregational meal together, like the Passover meal. And the model that we work from in the New Testament is the night before Jesus was betrayed and ultimately crucified. They were eating the Passover meal, and at the end of the Passover meal, he said, from this point forward, do this in remembrance of me. I'm becoming the Passover lamb. And from this point forward, you don't have to kill a lamb ever again. You don't have to slaughter a lamb because I am the lamb. So from this point forward, don't kill a lamb like you were doing it in the Old Testament. I am your lamb. And to remember that I am your lamb, just break up the unleavened bread and drink the wine and remember me. This is where this ordinance came from. That's why we're not, I'm not trying to be repulsive or disgusting. That's why we don't have a fire and I'm going to cut up a lamb and it's going to, we're not doing that. Not because, well, it's the 21st century we're in America, and that's just gross. No, if Jesus hadn't have died, we should be doing that. But Jesus did lie. He did die. He became the lamb for us. We don't need to do that. We remember him this way. So, the original Passover had a meal. And it seems that the church in the first century, they would gather for, they wouldn't call it a Passover meal. Maybe they would, but it's, it's a fellowship meal. It's the time for us to remember we're one in Christ because Christ has become our lamb and he's died for us. And then when that meal, a full meal, because this little piece of unleavened bread and a little sip of, of juice or wine is not going to satisfy, it's not a meal. But at the end of that meal, they would have a memorial moment. Now let's make sure we're remembering Jesus today. And they would transition out of a meal to, to a moment. They would fix their mind on the crucifixion. And they would do this in remembrance of Christ. But they weren't doing that, verse 21. In eating, each one goes ahead of his own with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk in their meal time. Their Passover meal, their fellowship meal, 
whatever their culture was. So you would bring your dinner for your family, and you would bring yours, and, and if, you know, if, you know, okay, a little bit, but no, no, we're not sharing anything. We, we have a big meal, and we just put it on one big table, and you, you eat someone else's food, or, or you, you at least try their food and eat your favorite, or whatever you do, but we all share it. No, they weren't doing that. In fact, read a bit more with me. 22. Why? Rhetorical question. Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or is it just that you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? I'll come back to that. What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I absolutely will not. This is about as direct and stern as Paul gets from time to time. This is a hard slap in the face to the church of Corinth. Because when they came together for a fellowship meal, there was no fellowship. You sit over there and I'm going to sit over here. Because you smell and we don't. You're poor and we're not. You don't have anything and we have a lot. But I'm not going to give you our food. Get around you. We don't like you because you're what? We're white collar. You're blue collar. We're Democrat. You're Republican. We're this. You're that. What? What were the divisions? What were the factions, those two words we saw in this first paragraph? They're divided over all kinds of things. We're educated, you are not. We're refined. We're more spiritual, and it's clear that you are not. And on and on and on, these distinctions. We like them, that family, they're going crazy, you know, they do that. They act this way. Our kids are well behaved. They let them kids run all over the place. And on and on and on with this kind of thinking, this kind of behavior. We were raised in a Christian home, and we've always been godly. That's the biggest liars in the room. And people there, you know what they're doing? Everyone knows what she's doing. You've heard about him. But they come together for communion on Communion Sunday. And Paul is saying it's got to stop. It's got to stop. What makes us one is not our money or our jobs or our cars or our vacations or even our morality or lack thereof. What makes us one is we all profess to be forgiven by the blood of Christ. And we're remembering him today. And that's the point of our oneness. That's the point of our connection. And so when we come together, it's not to emphasize the things that make us apart or distinct from one another. It's the one thing that makes us connected to one another. It's not our education. It's not our employment or income. It's, it's not our background. It's, it's not our accent. It's not our, our, our fascination with, with hobbies and activities. It's the blood of Christ. Verse 22, I do not commend what you're doing at all. I'm giving you strong rebuke. The Lord's Supper is to connect us as one. We're one in Christ. What you're doing only maximizes your divisions. We sit over here, we got a tablecloth and candelabras. 
You sit over there and you got crackers and bread and you stink up the place. Wow. There's no unity in that. There's divisiveness in that. And we've all heard of churches, and maybe you've been a part of a church like this, that some people come in that door, some people come in that door, some people come in that door, and I ain't sitting close to them. I don't even like them, but for Christ's sake, I'm here with them. In show only, not in heart, not in spirit. That's not the body of Christ. So, there's the opening salvo. There's, there's the, the introduction to the whole problem. There's the basis from which it begins to work. Okay, so how do we fix this? And he's using the Lord's Supper as a tool to fix a bigger problem. The bigger problem is perhaps their misuse of the Lord's Supper, but the greater problem is their lack of oneness which manifests itself, it shows up when they observe the Lord's Supper. So there's this word of condemnation in that first paragraph, 17 to 22. Now here's the standard, beginning in verse 23. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed, on which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. This do in remembrance of me. This do in remembrance of me. It does not say this do in order to get me. This do in order to receive me. This do, do this in order to believe in me. It doesn't say anything like that or, or connected, what other, other euphemisms and, and similes you would use. Do this to remember. Now, you can't remember something you've never had. I remember spending time with my grandmothers in their two respective homes. I could never say, I remember sitting on my grandfather's knee. I never had a grandfather. Both my grandfathers were dead, even before my parents married. Can't remember what you've never had. I don't feel cheated or lost. It's just not there. Great memories of my two grandmothers. They were there. They invested. They impacted me. Left an imprint on my soul. Both of them. Great memories. I love to talk about those memories. I have none. You can't remember what you don't have. So if, if people tell us that, oh, the Lord's Supper, that's, that's when we receive Christ and our sins are washed away. My goodness. I, I don't even know where to begin to, to, to say, are you, how could you come to that conclusion? The Bible is overwhelmingly full of, of, it seems, endless evidences. There's no truth in that statement at all. I received from the Lord that which I have now given to you, that the Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this to remember me. And it wasn't just the bread. It was the cup. In the same way, he took the cup. This cup is the new covenant. Covenant is promise, pledge. It's the new 
agreement between us. The old agreement was the Passover lamb. The new agreement, because the lamb has been once and for all of time sacrificed at Calvary. So we don't need to have him sacrificed, crucified again. Again. Every year. Again. No. No, what we need is to remember that he was sacrificed. Middle of verse 25, do this, the cup, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often, 26, as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you, my translation says proclaim. Yours might say it shows, it illustrates, it demonstrates. Whatever word you've got in the middle of verse 26, you proclaim, you declare, you act it out. It's a brief Simple, not silly, not shallow, but very brief and simple depiction, illustration, demonstration. Not only of, not even primarily of the death of Christ, but our participation in the death of Christ. We don't have a cross somewhere and nail a little doll to it. and We, we don't do that. The way we remember the death of Christ is by taking Passover meal stuff, unleavened bread and, and fruit of the vine. And we eat the bread not because we're, we're satisfying our hunger. It's a symbolic thing. I'm, I'm taking a little piece of a cracker and I'm chewing it and I'm going to swallow it because I've ingested Christ into my life. I've been born of the Spirit. I turned away from running my life. I said, Christ, I want you to run my life. I've, I've turned away from the, I'm the boss. No, Christ, you are the boss. And I acknowledge that I can't live my life apart from your indwelling presence. That's why I ingest it. I swallow it. It becomes a part of me. I don't just occasionally decide, oh, what would Jesus do in this moment? And I get his ideas and I do it. No, way more than that. Way more than that. Christ has come into me and overtaken my very being. The same way the food you eat will change your body. For better, for worse. We eat him. We ingest him. He comes into us by His Spirit. We proclaim. We show to one another, hey, Christ is in me. I'm taking Him in as a reminder that at my salvation, when I was born of the Spirit, He came into me then. This is just reminding me, and I want you to see that, that, that I'm saying to you, I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. I can tell you when I received Christ, and I'll tell you my story of conversion, how I was under deep conviction. I knew I was in sin, and I wanted to be free from my sin. And how did that happen? I can tell you my story. Do you have your story of conversion? If you have no story of conversion, what is the Lord's Supper going to do for you? If you've not, by spirit, taken Christ in, then what does a little cracker and a little sip of, of grape juice or wine, what, what is that going to do for you? Other than say, 
I went to church and it was a really nice ceremony. He preached too long, but it was a nice ceremony. Ceremonies don't get us into heaven. The blood of Christ gets us into heaven. So the key words in this paragraph is this do in remembrance of me. And when you do this, you show, you declare, you illustrate, you depict my death, my burial, my resurrection. That you've ingested, you've taken me in. Third paragraph, the word would be re-examine. Start verse 27. So, therefore, whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Now, careful with this adverb, unworthy, because the fact of the matter is none of us are worthy of Jesus dying for us. It has to do here with motive. If your motive is not a worthy motive. Now, the motive is to remember. We've seen that. This do in remembrance of me. This do to get me, to, to receive salvation. It doesn't say that. Nor does any other verse anywhere else. So he moves now to motive. Why are you doing what you're doing? Because remember in the first paragraph, you're doing it all wrong. And what you're doing, I know you can't the Lord's Supper. It's not. You're doing it so wrong, it's, it's not. It's not the Lord's Supper. And he gets to the real reason as to why here in this passage. If you do an unworthy manner with the, with the wrong motive, you'll be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So you should examine yourself, verse 28. Let a person examine himself. And then, after examination, let him eat the bread and drink the cup. Here's the warning, 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning eats and drinks judgment on himself. Okay. Let's, that, that'll sober you up real quick. <laughs> What's the motive here? Oh, I'm, I'm going to be really spiritual when we're done this. Well, okay, maybe that might happen if you're truly born again and, and in, in these moments you can really fix your mind. You can see Christ on the cross. You know he's paying for your sins. He's dying your death. He's taking your hell, literally, literally. That's why he cries out, my God, my God. And you will leave her thinking, oh my goodness, and nobody ever loved me like Jesus. And that's, that's the good effect. That's the wonderful result. But if you think for a moment that, oh, this is, this is, uh, this is going to you know, really impress God. I'm just going to be a good little boy. He's going to like me more now. You're in big trouble. You're, you're, you're in big trouble. The motive is to remember. And the effect of the remembrance is where the intimacy begins to increase. The, 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 the depth is strengthened. Verse 30. This is scary. Because, verse 29, you're not discerning the purpose of the supper, which is not really a meal. It was the end of the Passover meal. 
like Jesus did it. Because of verse 29, not discerning, that's why 30, many are weak and sick. Look at the third phrase. And some have actually died. We're not trying to scare the hell out of anybody. But you can't read that and not be sobered up. Oh, my goodness. I'm not suggesting that, oh, ain't nobody take the word suffer after Pastor Dave read that. Verse 30. Verse 30 should not be a, a, a threat or a, a prohibition if I know Christ. If I truly, genuinely know Christ and my objective of coming together with other believers and to remember Christ, if that's what we're doing, uh, excuse me, verse 30 means nothing. It, it doesn't scare me at all. Verse 30 is it's so powerful if, what's my motive? If my motive's off, okay, let's, maybe you should meditate on verse 30 for a bit. Verse 30 is the issue. Many are weak and sick, and some have actually died. However, 31, let's go right to 31. If we would judge ourselves truly, catch their ultimate motive, follow through on the right motive, if we would judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. I don't have to worry about verse 30. But maybe I should at least consider it before I just rush into this. Why am I doing this? To get some kind of spiritual oomph. You know, oomph. Little jolt to Jesus. Wow, that's not what's happening here. There may be the byproduct of, of, of wow, Jesus really does love me. And that's what makes me love him more. But that's not what's being talked about here in verse 30 and 31, 32. Motive is, it's almost everything in this passage and in this little, little memorial ceremony that takes moments. It's not the brevity, it's the depth that occurs in that brevity that has great significance to us. So he gives the warning, verse 29 and 30, but he gives great encouragement, 31, 32, if we judge ourselves truly, we wouldn't be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the rest of the world. Because the rest of the world says, just be religious. Just go do a ceremony. Get baptized. Take communion. Have this happen. Make someone wave something over you. Just, just cause ceremonies will work. You'll feel better. Just do a ceremony. And we keep doing these ceremonies thinking something's going to change. But nothing changes until my heart is changed. Nothing changes until I'm changed. But those of us who are dead become alive to Christ. You know, we used to be alive to the world, but now I'm dead to the world and I'm alive to Christ. I used to be dead to Christ and alive to the world, but now, now I'm alive to Christ and I'm dead to the world. That's the change that's got to occur. And an unleavened cracker and a little bit of wine not going to do that. It can 
remind us of the power and the blood of Christ that does do that. It's at this point he turns the corner and finishes the passage. Verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, my translation, this translation I've been using a lot lately says, wait, wait, be patient, spend some time, slow down, pump the brakes, don't rush through this. You know why? Because all these previous three paragraphs give you a lot to think about. What's my motive here? Is this just a superficial ceremony? I think I'm going to a little, little, get a little boost. Ah, no, that's, that's, not, that's not it. No, I've got to fix that. Gonna take me a couple minutes here. Wait, church, church, don't, 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 don't start the ceremony. I gotta get on my knees and pray for ten minutes. Of course, they'd made no provision for that. They'd had their worship service, they'd had their meal, and now let's finish it like Jesus did with the Lord's Supper. And now you're gonna now all of a sudden you got you crying or shut up, we got time for that. Let's go. Wait. Wait for one another. Wait. People got to process some stuff spiritually. Are you doing that right now? What's my motive? Why am I here? I'm not trying to keep you from participating. I want you to participate. But clean up the junk that's in the way before you do. The, the, the verses 29, 30, 31, they're not saying, Oh, no, no, only the really holy one. That's not saying that at all. Church of Corinth is messed up. The problem is they won't acknowledge that they're messed up. We should wait until at least we acknowledge, yeah, we're really messed up. And now that I've slowed down and the Bible has made me stop and think, I'm going to take serious my commitment. Stop being so messed up. I profess Christ. I say I'm born of the Spirit. Sometimes I wonder if I'm born of the Spirit. I can only imagine what the rest of the world's thinking. No, if I'm born of the Spirit, i got to start acting like I'm born of the Spirit of God. Let's wait and let that process unfold, unravel within us, every one of us. When you come together to eat, wait for one another. This is not a time to satisfy your hunger. Verse 34, if you're hungry, eat at home. Because coming here and showing off and competing with one another, you're just making the judgment worse. Come together is not for judgment. You got other problems, but we'll deal with them later. Let's just talk about this one today. Paul says in this chapter. What's your motive? To remember or to race through a ceremony so that I can have a momentary sense of, see, I'm not that bad. I took communion. That would carry me for a little bit, right? You can't remember what you don't have. 
you can remember someone else talking about it. You can read a passage of Scripture and, and read about it. But do you possess what it is to be free, to be forgiven, alive in Christ? Have you been born of the Spirit? Have you been born again? Have you embraced Christ as your only hope for eternal salvation? Then remember that. How old were you? Where were you when you prayed like that? How severe has your detraction or, or wandering off of that path been? And now you're trying to get back on track with Jesus. Remember all of that. Remember how he drew you. Remember how he spoke to you. Remember if you're born again, how he forgave you. Remember that. Nowhere in this passage of Scripture does it say, remember your baptism. Because baptism is not designed to save us. Baptism is not the washing away of our sins, as if there's some magic power in the water, whatever water you're in. Be it water out of the spout, or we all go to Israel and you're baptized in the Jordan itself. There's no magical powers in Jordan River water. Powers in the blood of Christ. Are you born again? So last year, Carmen and I renewed our vows. 50 years of marriage. We didn't get married last year. We've been married 50 years. 50 long, wonderful years. Wonderful. Fifty years. We get married last year, but we did renew our vows. Say, so let's do this fifty more years. The Lord's Supper is me renewing my vows. Jesus, thank you for loving me, and I'm not bringing what I'm going to do for you because it ain't much. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for opening my eyes to the fact that you loved me and died for me. And I can remember that happened to me. Has it happened to you? Can you remember when it happened to you? At least the things surrounding that moment? That's what we remember at the Lord's Supper. We're not getting anything new. We're remembering the most cherished thing we've ever had in my whole history. Eternal redemption, absolute forgiveness, a clean spiritual slate. Wow. Wow. That's what we remember. And we don't just do this by ourselves. I don't go home by myself, open the scriptures, read the scriptures, take a little of this, a little of that. Oh, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. No, we do this in a congregational setting because we're not in this family by ourselves. And we want all everybody to get on board and, and move together as a whole group. That's why we wait for one another. Remember that great line? Wait for one another. Because
because we want to make sure that all of us are on board and tracking with Christ, walking with Christ, not lagging behind. Wait for one another, 33. If you're hungry, eat at home. You got some other problems. We'll deal with them in the rest of the book, and he does. But on the Lord's Supper, he closes his issues. In verse 33, 34. Turn to Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. And I'll just give you the reading. From Jesus himself, Luke 22, and verse 19, just two verses. He took the bread. This is the night before he's betrayed. They had just eaten the Passover meal. He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body. Now, I know what it says, and I'm not trying to explain the Bible away, but you're left with a decision. Either, this is my body, either, there's only one or two options here, either, he's saying that as a metaphor, in a symbolic way. He's saying, this represents my body, or, or, you can believe, I don't, but you want to draw your own conclusions. No, it miraculously turned into the body of Jesus, and it's the body of Jesus that saves us. His sinless flesh saves us. And I'm saying, no, I don't think the whole of the Bible, Old Testament and especially New Testament, is saying to us that the miraculous sinless body of Jesus is what saves us. I am saying that the sinless body of Jesus given in payment for my sins that's what saves us. All the verses that we've covered today, none of them said, this do to get me. It says, this do to remember me, what I have already done for you. This is my body, which I am given. It has been given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Verse 20, likewise, he took the cup after they had eaten the bread. He took the cup and said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant, a new agreement, a new pledge, a new arrangement. You're saved by my work on your behalf. And I want you to remember this as long as you live. This is the covenant, a covenant of blood, a covenant of my blood shed for you. My grace is sufficient for you. You're not doing this to earn heaven. I've captured, I've gained heaven for you. I'm giving it to you. I want you to do this to remember what I've done for you. And what I've done for the people I've put you around and around you. That I'm not better or worse doesn't matter how much money you do or don't have, what your education is or is not, what neighborhood you live in, what, how much your house costs or how much rent you're paying. None of that matters. What matters is this, 
that I'm born again. And if you know Christ, you're born again. And that makes us brothers and sisters. Wow. The thing that makes us one is, is not social stuff, educational stuff, cultural stuff, habits, preferences, activities. None of that is, is what binds us together permanently. It may give us a few, you know, moments together. Yeah, we talk about this, we talk about that. But, no, the thing that binds us is I've tasted of God's grace. And if you're born again, you've tasted of God's grace. And we can talk about that being the common denominator between us, which overrides all the other differences. Rich or poor, young or old, healthy or not, Republican, Democrat, I could care less. They all pale in comparison to this, that in Christ, we are one. And we've taken of Christ. And then we remember when we've taken of Christ by this little ceremony. One last quick word of, of, of encouragement, not even caution. The Bible talks about church life, and this is part of their series on church life. And while this word isn't used, it's, it's not found in the scripture, it is used to make the distinction between what we would call local church, universal church. Universal is every believer of every age around the world at any time. So there's all kind of people in the body of Christ, the body of Christ, not his fleshly body, but the collection of people who put their faith in him. They're not just religious. They've been born of the spirit. I'm connected. I'm a part of that body, and I'm connected to everyone's in that body, and I've not met hardly any of them. I've not met hardly any of them. If I've met 2,000 of that body, that would be a lot. That would be a lot. And in that body, there are millions. And I don't have much in common with most of them except this that I've been to the cross by faith, and there I knelt, and my sins were washed away. I'm connected to everyone in that body. I've met hardly any of them. But I worship routinely, habitually, in this local body. The universal body is only functioning, if you want to even use that word, after heaven in eternity. Right now, it's this little body and that body and this body and this body and not all of them are named Baptist. They have this name or whatever name it is. But they're truly born again people. Truly born again people. And I'm connected to this local body. Now I happen to be an actual formal member of this congregation. But maybe you're born again, but you're not yet a member. Maybe you're, you're, you're born again, and, and you're a member somewhere else, but you're here today, and you know the people here. You probably didn't just walk 
the street and your first time here, but you know somebody here, and you know they're born again, you know you're born again. And so long as, if we could go back, Mark, if we could go back to what's our verse, or in terms of Luke, what's our verse where he says, uh, examine yourself. I want you to examine yourself, 27, 28, 29, thank you. Let a person, 28, examine himself as to motive. If you know you're born again and your conscience is clear that you've passed the test of verse 28. Now, I'm not trying to get saved by taking the Lord's Supper. I'm not trying to get a little emotional, spiritual boost. I'm not trying to make myself look good. I'm remembering what Jesus has already done for me. And when I participated at it, participated in it at my conversion. If you know yourself to be born again and you've passed that examination of verse 28 that's self-imposed, I would encourage you to remember Christ today. To remember Christ today. That's the point of this little ceremony. And it's only one of two that God has given us. Be born again is a commandment. But then to remember that, be baptized, you've died to the old life, we buried the old person. You come up, a new person. Water is just a picture of the blood of Christ. You were immersed in the blood of Christ. You come up clean, forgiven. That's baptism. The Lord's Supper is an ongoing process. Every day, every month, every week, every so often, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And today we keep the second of those two ordinances and we remember Jesus. We remember what Jesus has done for us. If you've participated in what Jesus has done for you on the cross and your motive is clear, then stand with me and let's keep this ceremony together. Just make an aisle on either side and we'll come down after we begin.